You're listening to Seattle Sports Saturday, Saturday with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. We're in the midst of a triple header going on in the NFL today. Texans and Bucks starting off the day. About nine minutes to go in the second quarter. Houston adding a touchdown. They're up 16-3, waiting for the extra point against Tampa Bay. The Bucks have as many points as Jameis Winston has thrown interceptions so far. He's got three already, <laughs> one of those going to the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got 30 touchdowns. I believe he now has 28 interceptions on the season. And see, so he had, I think, 24 going into today, so 27. 27. But, you know, still time to get there, C-Rod. So. There is. <laughs> I mean, there. I mean, he, how do you even explain Jameis Winston? It's... It's kind of like well, hey, according to Bruce Arians, those uh, those picks are usually on the fall to the receivers. So, which I mean, you look at Tampa <laughs> Bay's receivers; they're really good. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Yeah, well, Mike Evans now, unfortunately, out for the out, season. But you're right. That's <laughs> I don't know how that must feel if you are one of those receivers as well. And yeah, yeah now the news coming out. We talked about it a little bit earlier in the show about them considering having him back. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on that. That's a, that's a question for the Tampa Bay Bucks, but we've got some questions about this game on Sunday. We do, we do. And and taking a look at the Cardinals and they're, you know, they're what 3 and 10, 4 and 10, something like that right now. They've lost a bunch in a row. They're kind of playing out the string, looking to see what they've got for next year right now. But the Cardinals have always played the Seahawks tough and they've always played some of the weirdest games. Including last year when Arizona was what two and thirteen going into Week Seventeen, the Seahawks it took them until the very final whistle to beat Arizona. What concerns you the most with facing the Cardinals, despite their you know prolonged sort of drought here over the last few weeks? I think that they're starting to figure out some things offensively. Keeping in mind, Kyler Murray came in as just so much pressure on his shoulders, right? And he had to go into a team, many many veterans on the team, and walk into that room and get them to buy in to who he is as a player, as a leader. You're also dealing with the new head coach. You've had real weird inconsistencies at the running back position. It's weird that we're talking about David Johnson as almost just an afterthought and not uh, yeah, I think in anymore. The prevailing thought about him is that he's kind of washed right now. Which is just... It's so weird. I don't think it's a, an attitude thing either. He was their nominee for Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, and he's still relatively young. So that's just been a weird thing to keep your eye on. And I, the They're starting to figure some things out offensively. The addition of Kenyon Drake in late October, he came alive in that last game, four touchdowns, but they, they even got some great blocking on some of those plays from their offensive line. Kyler Murray, I think, is learning how to not turn the ball over, to protect it better, and he can move. He's mobile. So I think their offense is flashing a lot of good things, and that worries me considering that Seahawks defense has has had some inconsistencies, is dealing with a lot of injuries. Uh, This week on the injury report, Jadevian Clowney, Quandry Diggs, doubtful for this game, and then you've got Michael Kendricks and Shaquille Griffin, also in the questionable category. It does worry me. I think this game is going to come down to offense versus offense, and at the end of the day, I trust Russ more, but I'll be 
very interested to see this might be more high scoring than we think. I th- yeah, I think Arizona is going to get their points. I think they're going to do a lot because, or at least they're going to find the end zone more often than they would against any other team because you look at the Seahawks and, and just their propensity to give up points. I think they've already given up 345 this year. They're on pace for close to allowing 400 points. Which is when you look at that, you you know you give up 400 points. Normally, you're on the other end of a lot of those games, but because of how good C- Seattle's offense has been in 2019, they haven't really had to worry about the number of points they give up. But I also think that the the stat of rookie quarterbacks historically at CenturyLink Field not playing very well. I think what only two times has a rookie quarterback won in his rookie season uh, against the Seahawks. And I don't know if that extends this week. I think the Seahawks are going to really show. I think the the 12s, as as Deion Sanders, uh, you know, they, he disrespected them this last week. I think they're going to show up, and and I think they're going to wreak havoc on Arizona's offense. They're going to be in it from the very start to the very end because they know what's at stake. And, and you know, if the 49ers lose tonight, I think that's going to make. Seahawks fans even hungrier for a win tomorrow because then that really puts the pressure on San Francisco in Week 17. Like they have to win if they want to avoid the wild card round, and the Seahawks, you know, would be in line for a first round buy and likely home field advantage if it works out that way. You know what's really interesting to me too is we talked about the Pro Bowl nominees earlier in the show about how maybe there were a few slights on the Seattle side of things. One defensive pro bowler, the Arizona Cardinals, who are known for their offensive identity, have two defensive pro bowl starters. They have twice as many defensive players going to the pro bowl than Seattle does. And a team that is worse in every category defensively. They're in line for a top five pick in the draft, too. Yeah. So it's again, what having stars on your team doesn't always translate to wins. And congrats, by the way, to Buda Baker and uh, a lot Chandler of people Jones, uh, yeah. up here who who love uh, the former Washington Husky, and it was cool to see him get picked again. But yeah, it's just a uh, it, it's curious when the, the there's not a single offensive player on that team that was you know sent to the Pro Bowl, and that is again what they are all about. Really, Kyler Murray spreading. There isn't one receiver on that team that has racked up a ton a ton of yards. I think no. their highest receiver is like seven hundred. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's Larry Fitzgerald yeah. who's 36 years old and if he does play again next year, probably his last year, he may not even play beyond this season. And, and yet Kyler is still thrown for over 3000 yeah. and has rushed for over 500. One of three quarterbacks to do that. We talk about we've talked a lot today and just this whole week about the Seahawks not really getting their due when it comes to award season, when it comes to pro bowl nods and all pro nods. And then there's also the elephant in the room of Pete Carroll and John Schneider having never won Coach of the Year or Executive of the Year. And it also kind of falls in line with the MVP voting with Russell Wilson, too, where when you stack as many great seasons in a row that the Seahawks have had, like you don't, I don't think the national media and I don't think fans across the NFL have truly appreciated what those three guys specifically have done year in and year out. And Schneider, for him to go into this offseason with only four draft picks and a very questionable salary cap, needing to pay at least one, likely two, not all three, of Frank Clark, 
Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson and to have made the I don't think there was a better decision he could have made than trading Frank Clark as we look back on it because he was able to turn those four draft picks into a couple more draft picks and then use the picks he got from Kansas City to turn it even to more. He ended up with 11. You extend Bobby Wagner, you extend Russell Wilson. Like That in and of itself should be enough consideration for executive of the year. Then he was able to turn... Jacob Martin and Barkevius Mingo, two guys who were nice role players for the Seahawks, but they weren't guys who you were going to rely upon week in and week out. Turn those guys into Jadevian Clowney, and oh, by the way, get Houston to pay half of Clowney's salary. Then only spend a fifth-round pick to get Quandre Diggs. Like, how? what more does John Schneider need to do to sort of prove that he is worthy of being named executive of the year? I think... Because excellence is habitual for many people, these awards become almost most improved awards, Coach of the Year, Executive of the Year. It's almost like they're honors for people who have improved their team significantly from some sort of situation where they were at previously. And it's almost sad that it works against Pete and John that they are just traditionally excellent. Like, being habitually excellent sometimes works against people when it comes to those types of awards. But then the other awards that you do get, whether it's winning Super Bowls or just, I don't know, just the record on paper that you've accomplished over your career, those, it's like in high school, did you ever, maybe it's your brother or your friend uh, was maybe like traditionally a less great student than you and then they got a great grade one time and you're just used to getting A's so it wasn't recognized as much as let's say your brother or sister or friend in that situation and you're just like kind of like well I mean I still got an A don't I deserve a pat on the back too this reminds me of that situation (laughs) where you might not get the same praise in or outside praise or recognition but I think that excellence is its own reward too, and, the, and and that just might be the the standard for them. Yeah, and and if the Seahawks are going to continue it and do what they do, I'm more than okay with sacrificing an executive of the year title for John Schneider or coach of the year title for Pete Carroll. Like, I'm sorry to you guys. I I I wish that you would get those personal honors, but I think they'd agree with you. And they'd say, hey, we'd rather have a consistently excellent team. Let's go win a Super Bowl. Coming up next, the road to the Super Bowl may come through Seattle. but They're going to need some help. And it starts today with the Rams and 49ers playing the nightcap of this triple header. We sort through the NFC playoff picture coming up. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. You can listen to the show anywhere via the 710 Sports app. It is driven by your Puget Sound Accurate dealers. About 15 minutes from now, what is Chris Peterson's ultimate legacy at Washington? You can text that into the Coors Light text line, 710-710. Also, we'll be taking your shout-outs at 1145. That's how we wrap up every single Seattle Sports Saturday here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Um, Big day in the NFL with the triple header going on, uh, but some rather unfortunate news, uh, just actually rather devastating news, coming from the 49ers organization this morning within the last about half hour or so. 
Uh, backup quarterback, C.J. Beathard, who I believe started a couple of games a year ago. His brother uh, was fatally stabbed late last night. Um, and so Nashville, yeah. Yeah, so the 49ers, they're going to be playing with a very heavy heart uh, tonight. Um, you know, when, when, when moments like that happen, it does force you to step back from sports and, and you know, Rivalry aside, your heart has to go out to the 49ers family tonight, especially because of just how devastating that must be for not just C.J. Beathard, but you know for all of his teammates mm-hmm. in San Francisco. Um, yeah, obviously uh, all the thoughts and love in the world to them and their family right now as they deal with, they deal with that tragedy. It's, yeah, it's senseless and and there's no reason for it and and you know you just as Seahawks fans and and just there is the rivalry between Seattle and San Francisco but uh I implore Seahawks fans you know especially next week when there's going to be a lot on the line between the 49ers and and Seahawks just be respectful of that situation absolutely um speaking of rivalry yeah. San Francisco versus the Rams today. That's a big one. California's teams. North NorCal versus SoCal. And the Rams, they are playing for everything right now. If they lose, they are out. They cannot afford to lose any games the rest of the way, and they're going to need help from Minnesota. Uh, they're going to need Minnesota to lose both of their games the rest of the way if L.A. wants to make the postseason. That game tonight, Rams 49ers, takes place in Santa Clara at uh, at 5.15 Pacific time. And you look at these two teams the last time they played, it was utter domination from the 49ers. Jared Goff only threw for 78 yards total. It wasn't even close. You look at both these teams where they were then and where they are now, you've got the 49ers coming off a surprising loss to Atlanta last week. How do you see this one playing out between L.A. and San Francisco? Yeah, that was a that was a turning point I think for the Rams in that season. That was when they had uh previously lost to the Seahawks the week before on that missed field goal by Greg Zerline in the final minutes, but also 2 weeks after losing and being blown out by Tampa Bay, and that was the third consecutive loss, a unfamiliar sight to the Rams and I think really changed the trajectory of their season. And if I had to guess, not that you need to stoke this fire anymore, but the Rams, who are figuring also some things out on offense when it comes to the usage of Todd Gurley and getting him more involved, I think are uh, are are hungry. Not only <laughs> the Rams always seem to traditionally too, even if it even if there aren't the playoff hopes on the line to play within the division, very tough football. And this this roster on paper very talented. Yes, and. I think they want to get the taste of their, you know, huge blowout loss to Dallas out of their mouth, which was so uncharacteristic, especially with how bad Dallas had played coming into last week. And it wasn't even close. Like, Dallas was almost in a position where they had to kick off both halves, and it wasn't even going to matter. Like, that's how big Dallas was up on L.A. last week. You only got 20 rushing yards from Todd Gurley. You know, Jared Goff has been up and down this season. We've seen him at his, his best, you know, against Seattle. Both times he, he threw for nearly 400 yards in their loss on the Thursday night. And then, you know, was outside of the two interceptions to Quandre Diggs, had a pretty nice game against Seattle. 
To me, though, I, I look at the talent right now, San Francisco's defense, they're just they are on another level, and I think they are uh, going to give L.A. some fits tonight, especially because it's at home. It's going to be in prime time. And I just I don't see it from the Rams this year. And maybe they're going to change my mind tonight with a with a heroic performance. But I just I think that loss in the Super Bowl a year ago, they were never able to get over that hump because they just they did not show up three points against the Patriots when that offense was so vaunted throughout the entire season. I mean, how do you come back from that? It's it'll be really interesting because both these teams run the ball pretty well at their best right and in that last game uh week six they were without or the uh the 49ers were without the rams or without todd Gurley. i can speak today lydia (laughs) um so that that i think is not only without him but now that they have him figured out in their offense and sean McVay saying their underutilization of him was because he was an idiot, which he's not an idiot, but it sounds like they finally have some things figured out with him. So I think in their zone schemes, if they utilize him correctly, they could it could be interesting. They could at least give him a run for their money. Do you think, though, the 49ers will just end up coming up victorious in this one? I think so. I think they were victims of a trap game last week where they had just gone through this gauntlet of the Packers – uh, Ravens and Saints. They get that huge emotional victory in the Superdome against the Saints. They're riding high, and it's like, oh, man, we're the one seed in the NFC now. Like, nothing can stop us. We've got this lowly 4-9 Falcons team coming in that has not done well at all, and they lay an egg. And you look at the 49ers' remaining two games, the Rams and Seahawks, two divisional games that are going to factor in in a big way in the postseason – I think they were victims of a trap game. And I look at them, I think they're going to be able to refocus this week and, and knock off the Rams. Was there any part of you, though, that watching that Saints game, seeing them give up that many points, uh, that, was a little concerned? Yeah, which it did show that San Francisco, their defense is very beatable. Um, I get it. You're on the road. You're in one of the host- most hostile environments that exist. But at the same time, giving up over 40 points – yeah, and you look at uh, you look at the 49ers' defense over the last oh, six or seven games. Twenty nine points to Atlanta, forty six to New Orleans. Uh, they gave up twenty six to the Cardinals, twenty seven to the Seahawks, twenty five to the Cardinals. They have not been, I guess, the dominant selves that they were early on in this season. But at the same time, I mean, they they're still winning at a clip that is you know. Pretty impressive, eleven and three, just as the Seahawks are. You look at the Rams though; if they do win tonight, they're going to need help from Green Bay and Green Bay against Minnesota, a place where Minnesota has not lost this year. And in fact, Minnesota's final two games of the season are at home. They're six and zero. Oh. How do you see Green Bay Minnesota playing out? And is when you look head to head, which team do you think has the better shot of going deeper into the playoffs, Minnesota or Green Bay? Yeah. That is, I still have so many questions about what the identity of these teams are. And that seems weird to say this late in the season, but it's, is it legitimate to say that I feel, I still feel like the Green Bay Packers haven't really played that many, that many challenging opponents. And they've played in a plenty of, of close games this year, like the Seahawks have had, and they're 11 and three, but 
they just aren't, you know, putting teams away. They already got blown out by the 49ers once this year. Uh, they lost to the Eagles. They lost to the Chargers. Yeah. You know, two teams that aren't exactly impressing anybody right now. And they're at Minnesota on Monday night, at Detroit in Week 17. I think Minnesota is the more complete team. I think I ha- so, too. I would have more faith in them holistically than I do Green Bay. When you look at Aaron Rodgers, week from week nine onwards, he has yet to throw for 300 yards. 161, 233, 104 against San Francisco, 243, 195, 203. I mean, this is Aaron Rodgers. Come this on. is this is it's, like it's Pro Bowl Aaron Rodgers. Right? And he's starting over Dak Prescott. Yeah, come like, on. how did he get a nod to the Pro Bowl? Yeah, he had a great start to the season, but he is nowhere near the level that which we're accustomed to with Aaron Rodgers. And like if Green Bay is going to go anywhere in the postseason, I think Aaron Rodgers has got to be you know three hundred yards plus because you know one hundred and four, one hundred and ninety five, one hundred and sixty one. Like that's that's garbage for any quarterback. Yeah, it, it's I, I will definitely be curious about that one as well. And yes, of course, the Minnesota has an influence on what the Rams are able to do. I would be very shocked because, of course, they have to win out, and then Minnesota has to lose both games. Correct. Yes. But I'll still be interested in this one and what it means for the NFC. And then finally, we've got Cowboys-Eagles tomorrow <laughs> in the the worst division that I can ever remember. That is, of course, re-sparked the conversation about does the seating need to be reimagined? Because if we won't have a team with a losing record win that division if one of these teams win. What if they tie tomorrow? Because then <gasps> some— go. then Chaos. Then— you can't win the NFC East with a winning record uh, if that happens. I'm, I'm rooting for a tie. Yeah, that'd me too. That would be amazing to watch happen. Let's go. Uh, yeah, but you look at the Cowboys and Eagles, I mean, pick your I get, pick your non-poison, pick yeah. your diet beverage. It's really interesting. We played the clip from Ryan Clark and Dominic Fox were talking, more Ryan Clark talking about not wanting to go play in Dallas in the postseason. And yeah, while that wouldn't be my number one first choice, I'd rather have home field advantage and I'd rather play other teams ahead of them. Isn't it weird that we're talking about this team in that manner when just like two weeks ago, we were like, wow, Jason Garrett's lame duck and he's out of here. There's absolutely no way he's coming back and everyone's underperforming. And this team is uh, way less, you know, way more talented than what's showing up. And now the conversation is, whoa, I would never want to face Wouldn't them. Wouldn't want to see those guys oh. come my way. It's just, what... Yeah, it's the recency bias. It's, a, it's, it's funny how quickly that could change. Changes real quick <laughs> in the NFL. Coming up, what is Chris Peterson's ultimate legacy at the University of Washington? He coaches his final game as the head coach of the Huskies later this afternoon. We do our best to answer that question. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. We need your shout-outs to the Coors Light text line 710-710. We get into those at 1145 here on this Seattle Sports Saturday. And today ends, or at least puts a bow on a specific era of Husky football, the Chris Peterson era, which... I think there are, are some pretty easily definable eras of Husky football. You've got the Don James era, which came away with a national championship. Dogfather part one. 
You've got the Rick Neuheisel era, which started off great, did not end so I great. Just call that the. Uh, and era. then you've got the Tyrone Willingham era. Which, no comment. Ugh. And now there was, I guess you could put Steve Sarkeesian in that sort of the building towards something because they they had much more success. I mean, it was not, not mm-hmm. it was impossible to have any less success than Tyrone Willingham. But Chris Peterson, his six years atop the Washington program, or at least leading the Washington program, I think only matched by Don James, only exceeded by Don James in terms of overall success. But what is Chris Peterson's ultimate legacy at Washington? Which is kind of, It's a pretty broad question that we're asking here. We want your answers on the Coors Light text line, 710-710. On a personal level, yeah. he restored re-energized, rejuvenated my Husky football fandom, which, yes, experienced that 0-12 2008 season and felt depressed, not just from a results standpoint, but from a just a where the program, how far the program had fallen and in terms of just belief in a future, right? Because if you're doing poorly, there's a there's still a lot of instances where you can have hope for the future. Like, hey, we're going through a transition. Hey, we're building towards something. Hey, there's a lot of young players here. That was just a very low point as a fan where you felt kind of hopeless. And to me, he gave us both restored hope on the results side, but also something to believe in beyond just the football side. Because you've We've all experienced uh, rooting for a team where we felt some sort of moral qualm or conundrum, like oh, maybe they're not doing everything above board or there's a new story that comes out and we're like, this is unfortunate. I don't want to root for them as a fan when this happens. UW never in the Chris Peterson era felt that way. You were going to see at least consistent success of a certain level on the field, but also it felt like you had something to cheer for and root for when it came to who he was as a person and the and the focus he put on developing young young players into young men. I look at, at what Chris Peterson did in not just restoring Washington to being a, a good team in the Pac-12, but to running the Pac-12 for a few years during his six-year run. And there are certain players and coaches in Husky history that get revered more so than than others and – I look at what like how Jake Locker is looked at by Husky fans, where he was here during some of the worst years, but also stuck it out and got them back to a bowl game by his senior season. And that guy, he can do no wrong in the eyes of Husky fans. Chris Peterson got them to within one win of playing for a national title. Like where Chris Peterson took this program, he should be revered exponentially more than just somebody like Jake Locker who is sort of almost like godlike to Husky fans. Uh, that I've like as an outsider to the Husky program, as somebody who who doesn't root for the Huskies, but you know has has watched them sort of from afar. I'll I'll never understand like how Jake Locker is revered revered as like this this hero when he had one winning season as quarterback of the Huskies, and I feel like what Chris Peterson has done deserves even more admiration because of him not just winning at the the clip that he did, but also how he did it. He did it clean. He did it mm-hmm. without the NCAA, you know, you know, snooping around his program and 
and he was able to develop NFL talent and not just like guys who were picked in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, but first round picks, Vita Vea, second round picks, you know, Byron Murphy and, and guys who were who have become difference makers in the NFL because really your job as a as a head coach in the NFL should or your job as a head coach in the NCAA should not just to be win at your level, but also prepare these guys for the next level. I think it also goes back to the conversation we were having about Pro Bowlers and the Pete Carroll, John Schneider never winning their ultimate individual award. It's because habitual excellence is something that people come to expect from you. And I think in the case of Jake Locker, it was it was the surprise or it was the turnaround. It was almost the most improved kind of mantra of we were so low and you took us to a certain area that wasn't as low. But when you reach the upper echelons of success, then it becomes, well, we now just expect this from you. And any deviation from that, it's a great thing because you're doing that well to begin with, especially in college football where how much reputation is a part of it. Like you, Only four teams make the college football playoff and it's not a set system to no, get there. No, you just got to impress a group of 12 people. So that tells you how much Chris Peterson was respected to get to that conversation early on and then unfortunately that sets the bar at a certain level and any deviation from it i mean you heard the conversations this year when alabama's left out they're like oh nick saban might be washed up and wow is this the end of the era this is mostly coming from paul feinbaum by the way um this is the end of nick saban and he's got to go to the nfl now because wow his his time is over in college football that's nutty a couple of really good texts coming in on the course text line about what is Chris Peterson's lasting legacy? The 425 says, As a Husky myself, he restored my faith in UW as the top competitor in the Pac-12. He regained my trust in the program and restored my pride. Yeah. And then here's an interesting one that I think kind of makes me want to branch off into, into another question here. 206 says, The Statue of Liberty play in the Fiesta Bowl to beat Oklahoma. Now, he accomplished that at Boise State, which now puts into now makes me want to ask the question, where is Chris Peterson's legacy? Like, where does the average college football fan kind of identify him as? Is he a Boise State Bronco? Is he a Washington Husky? It's kind of like Pete Carroll. Like, where where will he be remembered most? As head coach of USC or as head coach of the Seahawks? I think the it will have different answers because you you bring up one specific play as a offensive mastermind or a creative play caller probably more for his time at Boise State I don't think that you would pick out as many plays or specific instances and that also is part of being at a smaller school and and upsetting or surprising some of these bigger name or power five schools but then coming to Washington I'm not sure that that would be the same narrative or the same legacy because even in the past couple of years there's been complaints about the offense or uh just not being as innovative as fans would have liked to see. But I still think so him as as an overall like coach yeah. and it, that in his time at Washington is what I think will be remembered. Uh Chris Peterson, I mean today they're playing Boise State, the the program that he helped build into what it is today. Uh he talked a couple of weeks ago about facing Boise State in the Vegas Bowl and and he you know, classic Chris Peterson kind of ah shucks about it. Love going to Las Vegas. Been there a few times, and they do a great job, and it's an awesome location for fans. And 
And the other thing is, just being an early bowl game, you know, sometimes these things can drag on for a long time. And so it's one of the earlier bowl games, so we'll go prepare, be ready to play. And, you know, obviously, personally speaking, there's a lot of other teams that I'd probably like to be playing for this last time. But... It is what it is, and it's interesting how sometimes these things work out. It is what it is. It is what it is. Because it, it just draws more attention to the fact that this is his last game. It's the two schools he was the head coach of. And two places that he loves and admires and, and doesn't have any ill will towards either of them. He knew in his life that it was the right time to make a change when he left Boise State, and he knows now that it's the right time to make a change here. It's not because he didn't have the support or resources or didn't believe in the program. So you're right. It just adds to his sort of inner turmoil because he has love and respect for the people on the other side of the field just as much as he does for himself. He also had this great quote, which I loved, about how a lot of the focus of this game has been on him, but he doesn't want it to be that way. Yeah, that's that's probably the reason I don't like that. Um, that's not what this is about. It's not even kind of about that. It's about these players that you know, worked really hard this season. And, you know, Boise's had a, an unbelievable season again over there. And our guys have been through a lot and grinded through a lot. And now we're going to play a really good team. And that's what it should be about and nothing else. No more Chris Peterson way to go out than by insisting that this isn't about not him. Me, not about me. It's about and, other and all players. that he's accomplished is, I think his, his winning percentage was in total between the two schools was like 700-something it's like 146 and 38, which is absurd One to win at that clip. In college football currently. I mean, just what he accomplished in his career, dot, 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 so far. Who knows what, what lies ahead for Chris Peterson, but uh, he definitely left his mark, definitely left his fingerprints all over both programs. And I think it kind of speaks to the coach he is and, and the person he is that when he left Boise State, a lot of their fans were probably like, yeah, you know, like, good on him for being here as long as he was. Like, thank you for, for what you did at Boise, and and you go do your thing. And It's kind of like Tony Bennett at uh, Washington yeah, State. Yeah, where like, every coup yeah. we work with reveres Tony Bennett, even though he, you know, even though he eventually left the program and, and went on to win a national championship elsewhere. Um and that's kind of how I feel even here in Washington. Like, you know, thank you for your time. I do appreciate the fact that you were even here and, and you graced us with your presence. It's, I mean, he is just, he's one of the best and he's one of one. I think he's somebody that college football needs more of. And it's a shame that he's deciding to step away. And because, and like, I think it was what, you know, Bob Stoops two years ago, Urban Meyer last year, which. I'm kind of glad it reminds yeah. out of the game. But, you know, Chris Peterson now, three tremendously successful coaches, all three of them saying, I don't need this anymore. And especially with, you know, those guys, all three of them competing for conference titles and national titles every single year. For all three of them to say, I don't need this, it's kind of an indictment on where college football is just as a whole. And, Hopefully, uh, hopefully it gets back to a better place because uh, you know you hate to see a lot of these guys leave the college game. Coming up next, we need your shout outs to the Coors Light text line seven ten seven ten. Maybe a shout out for Chris Peterson on his final day as Huskies head coach. We get into that next here at Seattle Sports Saturday seven ten ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on seven ten ESPN Seattle. 
Just let it breathe. Soak it in. It's now time for your shout-outs here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Shout-out to Matt Nelson for the excellent music choices. Killing it as always. If you missed any of the show today, check out the podcast page, 710sports.com. We're there for you. Uh, Getting into the shout-outs, 360 Rainbow shouting. Shout-out to them. Uh, they wish a happy holidays to everybody and be safe. So shout oh, out from the three six zero. Shout out from the five zero nine to my friend Javon, who just got married to his husband Mike. Oh, awesome! Shout out from to the five zero nine. I mean, Christmas weddings. That's yeah, like a little like December a, nuptials. That's that's a good one. I I want to shout out everybody staying safe in this weather because there were a lot of uh, a lot of pictures yesterday going around the internet. Uh, MyNorthwest.com had a bunch of just, you know, cars like floating away. and Yeah, I think I we're mean, setting some records here with the yeah. amount of rainfall that we've had. So Shout out to people one. staying safe out there uh, because these these roads, yeah, we get rain here pretty often, but this is abnormal amounts of rain. Um, so, yeah, just stay safe out there as you're, you're shopping for the, for the holiday season, as you're going from holiday party to holiday party. Uh, make sure you're, you're staying safe out there. Yeah, I'll shout out everybody out there as well as they are celebrating or continue to celebrate. We'll celebrate the holidays with each other. Uh, be safe, please, and also just enjoy yourself. Take take time to uh, focus on the people you're with. And I know that the holidays can get stressful because you want to give your friends and family the very perfect holiday celebration, but. Don't get hung up on the minutia too much and stress yourself out and forget what the the holidays are really about, which is people and sharing the time and quality memories and moments that you get to build together. So shout out to all of you celebrating out there and hopefully it's fun fun holiday time for you and you're yeah. taking some time off work, some much deserved yes, time off work. Yeah. Uh, also, I want to shout out the high school seniors this week that uh, made their commitments to whatever school, whatever level they're they're going to be playing football at, uh, whether it be, you know, at Alabama or a Division three or NAIA school. I mean, hey, you're getting a scholarship to go play a sport in college. I mean, that's it's a tremendous honor. Um, shout out to someone who we've seen kind of grow up around this building, G. Scott Jr. Yeah, uh, he's going to Ohio State. So shout out to him. I believe he's going to be an early enrollee, so he's just days away from enrolling at Ohio State. Uh, it's been really cool to watch him because uh, his dad, as you know, was a host on 710 for, for quite a few years. He's now a host on her sister station, 97.3 FM. Uh, you know, he always brings his kids around, and, and just seeing him go from just this little tadpole to a full-grown man, like he is towering over everybody. And, and aside from being – a ridiculously great football player is also just one of the kindest, yes. nicest, most level-headed uh, young men you yeah. will ever meet. So, As, yeah, he's got a dry sense of humor too. So yeah. he's got to appreciate that. <laughs> uh, shout out! You mentioned it earlier to Chris Peterson. As a Husky fan, I am so grateful uh, for what he's done for the program for the last six years. I'm grateful to Jen Cohen. Shout out to her for being a part of him coming here to Washington and restoring this program and. I liked the texter that said restoring their pride in the program. Yeah. I think that's that's one thing where you I've in my past been sort of a 
it's almost like a guilty pleasure when you have to tell someone you're like a reality TV show fan of something. <laughs> and after that 2008 season, you're like, yeah, I'm a Husky fan. Well, that, I'm a Husky fan. When but. you meet people from out of town or from different areas of the country, one of the first things people identify with is who, who do you root for? Mm-hmm. And around that time, if you ever said you were a Husky fan, it's just kind of like, oh, sorry for you. But yeah. seeing you know, you and all, all the other Huskies that we work with here, Shane and Dre or Brock Hewer, Danny O'Neill, like walk with your chest puffed out Let's a little go. bit. You know, and, and like as someone who roots for a team in the Pac twelve that is near the bottom every single year, <laughs> when I tell people I root for Arizona football, they're like, Really? Like okay. they you're kinda a at least you mediocre got basketball, program. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like I would give a lot to, you know, be like that's my football team out there. So when I when I see that from from Husky fans out there, uh, you know it's it's a cool thing that Chris Peterson was able to accomplish that um, for for all of them out there. Yeah, shout out to him restoring our pride in that program and giving us something more than just a football product to root for. But I don't know, just a great human being, and I think it's really brave to make a decision that other people might view as I don't know backwards or suboptimal how can you walk away when you're at a certain level or have achieved a certain level in your career we saw it kind of with the Andrew Luck stepping back and uh, deciding that playing football wasn't best for him I think that boggles our mind but I think it's really brave and courageous to know that something's not right for you and to take a step back because if you're going to be unhappy it's going to permeate it's going to have reverberations throughout the program you're not going to be able to give your best to the young people that you're wanting to develop and help coach up. So I think it's really brave of him to step back and and pass the torch on to Jimmy Lake, who has also always been such a kind person to to me personally and for, you know, no good reason other than just, you know, just being a kind human being. So I think that he's going to do great things with the program, and I'm excited to watch. Congrats, Chris, and congrats all the seniors, which is the focus yeah. we wanted to have the game on today. So Final collegiate game. to all the UW and the Boise State seniors. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to them. Uh, shout out to our engineering and IT department. Woo! Heck yeah. Uh, just throwing that out there. I know. Just in general, they're kind of the unsung heroes, and yes. they keep us on the air all the time. And, you know, it's, it's, every team has got those, the players yeah. that just come to work and they don't work, get the glory. They work funky hours to keep us doing what we do here. Uh, so that is going to do it for us here today. Uh for our guy Taylor, who is yeah, Tay, uh, shout out big, to you. Yeah. we miss you. Yeah, shout out to him. Love shout you. out to Lydia. I, shout out to C. Rod. Well, thank you. I Happy mean, holidays. Yes, everybody. from all of us here at Seattle Sports Saturday. Happy holidays to you. And we'll be back next we Saturday with our, we're, we're going to do a three-hour countdown yeah, show to yeah. Sunday's game. So be here for that. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, don't don't you don't you fret. We'll be back next week. Uh, right here, Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle.